welcome to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning with Wigan and Dana, the show where CPAs, insurance professionals, investment brokers, trust companies, CFPs, and more can firm up on their understanding of estate planning strategies so they can better guide their clients to make wise decisions with their legacy. Future Focus is hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. Subscribe to Future Focused Sophisticated Estate Planning on your favorite podcast platform and share episodes with your clients. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron and Michael. Welcome to Future Focused. I'm your host, Michael Clear, joined by my co-host, Aaron Nichols. Happy to be here. In today's episode, we're going to talk about key strategies for funding educational expenses. This is a topic that comes up often in our conversations with clients, and especially when clients are grandparents or hoping to be grandparents at some point. And it's effectively, Michael, I'd like to figure out the most efficient way to pay for or help with college education expenses. Aaron, when when you hear that or we talk about education expenses, what are some of the key considerations that come to mind uh, as we plan with our clients? Yeah, that's definitely a great question to be asking at the outset, because just about everything we talk about here, it's not one size fits all. There are a number of different strategies. We'll take you through a few of them today. Certain circumstances will dictate which strategy is the best for that client. So things that Michael and I are looking at, I think you would agree, Michael, are existing tax planning both within the client's underlying estate plan, and then what tax planning is at play in terms of utilizing lifetime exemptions and annual exclusion gifts. And then we, of course, want to know about the beneficiaries. How many of them are there? How old are they? What is the anticipated trajectory? You know, is the client trying to save for an advanced degree? or maybe just, you know, from K through 12. So those are questions that we're certainly all asking at the outset. Yeah, I think about it in terms of, is tax planning going to be an important aspect of this or not? Because if tax planning is a piece of it, it's going to lead us in one direction or another. If it's truly just planning for education and either estate tax or income tax is less relevant to the person, that helps in our decision making as well. The number of people comes into play. Some of our strategies work well when we know exactly who's going to be a beneficiary. Sometimes people would prefer to say, hey, all of my grandchildren. Well, that's going to lead us to a different strategy. And I think also another consideration is how long do we have? How long are we planning for? Is somebody going to school next year or is someone going to school in 18 years? As we look at those considerations, I think we look at tax planning, number of beneficiaries, the age of the beneficiaries, if the person has a taxable estate, how large is it, and does this work or not work with the current estate plan? So as we look at that, what are, big picture, before we dive in, what are those common strategies? Certainly, I think a strategy that everyone thinks of when discussing education expenses are 529 plans. And we'll certainly go into some detail on that. But other planning strategies that we like to talk about with clients certainly include 
the direct payment of tuition expenses, which falls under a special transfer tax exemption under the code. And then, of course, trust planning. So we've talked a lot about trusts on this podcast already. So it's probably not surprising that Michael and I love trusts as a solution to clients looking to save for education expenses. Let's just dive into that first one. Let's talk about the direct payment of tuition and why that strategy is exciting to us. Yes, we love the direct payment of tuition for a number of reasons. But primary one is because it falls under what a lot of people in the industry refer to as the med-ed exclusion. And that means that you can transfer an unlimited amount of money to a beneficiary for a specific purpose, and it will be outside of the transfer tax system. Now, it's really not to the beneficiary directly, but rather, in this circumstance, directly to an educational institution. And payment of that tuition doesn't use up the donor's gift tax exemption or annual exclusion amount, And importantly, unlike most annual exclusion gifting strategies, this is also exempt from GST tax. It's treated as having a zero inclusion ratio for GST purposes, meaning from a tax perspective, there's really no meaningful limitation on the amount that a client can pay on behalf of beneficiaries if it's directly to the institution providing the education. Yeah, so I think it's worth repeating those two requirements. One is the payment must be for tuition, and two, it must be a direct payment of tuition by the person giving the gift to the educational institution. So as long as it's a direct payment and it's for tuition, it will qualify for this special benefit. So what does that mean? If Erin paid tuition last semester herself, can I just simply reimburse you for that payment? Unfortunately, no. I wish you could. (laughs) (laughs) Or four years ago. Yeah. I think that also leads to the, can I pay off someone's loans, which you cannot do using this exclusion. So it's a powerful exclusion because, especially with the rising cost of tuition, But those caveats being it can only be for tuition and must be paid directly to the institution. And so that might sound like a pretty substantial limitation, but I think it's worth noting that under the code, the definition of qualified tuition expense here is incredibly broad. I know Michael and I have presented on this topic before, and I think, Michael, your example of a dance studio is a good one. So historically talking about any sort of program where there's a curriculum. So if it's a dance class that starts in September and goes through December and another type of more traditional school has sort of a curriculum for that time period, then we think that probably fits under this exception. Yeah, so as faculty members, has a curriculum, they would fit, whereas maybe a periodic dance class at the YMCA wouldn't fit in that same category. Exactly. So certainly a, a very flexible option and one that we like to remind clients of. 
pretty often because it seems, at least to me, that it's often underutilized as a really effective way, not just of providing for these beneficiaries, but also reducing the client's taxable estate. So moving away from the direct payment of tuition, another very popular strategy that we hear about are the use of 529 educational funding programs. Can you give us an overview of those programs? Sure. Certainly, we get asked a lot about 529 accounts and what are they? Okay, well, a tax advantage savings plan. Previously, just a handful of years ago, 529 plans could only be used for higher education. Now, under relatively new legislation, they have some expanded utility. So why is this type of plan tax advantaged? Well, there is tax-free growth of assets within the account, similar to how there is within a qualified retirement plan. And then withdrawals, as long as they are for qualified education expenses, then the withdrawals themselves are tax-free. So that means necessarily that if it's not for a qualified expense, then you're going to be paying federal income tax on that, likely state income tax, and also a 10% penalty. So it's important to really understand what a 529 account can be used for. So that's really important to understand, given those consequences of a non-qualified withdrawal. It's important to understand what counts as a qualified expense under a 529 plan. And here, it's much broader than the option that we just talked about and direct payment of tuition, because under the 529 plan regulations, an education expense that is qualified could include books, lab equipment, transportation to and from campus. It's much broader, you know, a study abroad plan, all sort of fall within that umbrella. And as I quickly mentioned, it used to just be for higher education, so it had to be a college or university. And now you are able to use a certain amount for just tuition payments for kindergarten through 12th grade. So they have some greater utility for beneficiaries who might be attending a private school, And the client who we're speaking with wants to aid in those tuition payments as well. So certainly the flexibility within a 529 plan is big. I think you have kind of going back to our strategies in general with the direct payment of tuition. There's a tax strategy there, but it's a gift tax or generation skipping tax strategy with a 529 account. There's a strategy there, but it's a it's mostly income tax deferred growth strategy, as well as kind of combining with a gift tax strategy on the funding. And you can see just right off the bat how these can be used together. You might plan on using the direct payment of tuition to pay the tuition portion and cover a lot of the other expenses with the 529 account. So you can use them together in that fashion. Another cool piece, I think, of the 529 account, we think of that income tax-free growth, and we often will have these discussions when a beneficiary is is young, is that growth, but also the front-loading of these plans. We're allowed to contribute five years' worth of annual exclusion 
in year one. And in today's numbers, that's $85,000. One, I could contribute to a 529 account this year, counting it for the gifts for next five. Or if me and my spouse did together, we can put in 170,000 right in the beginning. And that's a huge start to a program of tax-free growth. Absolutely. Like Michael said, these contributions are treated radically over five years. So if he were to make this $85,000 contribution in 2023 to a 529 account, then $17,000 would be treated as having been transferred to the beneficiary this year, and then $17,000 in each of the next four years. I think often people might think that if they transfer $50,000 into 529 account in 2023, then they would max out annual exclusions each year until they were finished, meaning you would still allocate a $17,000 gift to the beneficiary this year and so on and so forth until you hit 50. But that's not the case. It's just an even slice over five years. So in that circumstance, it's $10,000, but certainly a big benefit. Yeah. So if you're going to front load, talk to us so we can make sure that the, the, the overall strategy works. And also remember that it's going to impact other gifting that, you, that the client may or may not do. If they're doing annual exclusion gifts, there may be steps that we have to take to make sure that everything is calculated correctly. Yeah. And I think certainly when we're talking about big benefits in addition to the five-year front loading. I think it's worth noting that a 529 plan has sort of this unique feature in that the donor retains a lot of control over the account. A lot of times when we are talking about transfer tax planning, we really need there to be zero nexus between the donor and the recipient of the gift. But here, the donor actually can still be the representative on the account. And in most circumstances, you can change the beneficiary on the account so that you're not locked in to the original named beneficiary. And so there are a few reasons why that could be really important. One, beneficiaries sometimes don't end up going to college and wouldn't otherwise need those funds. Some get scholarships and don't have a means to fully utilize the account. So instead of dealing with overfunding and simply taking the money back and getting that tax hit, you can substitute that beneficiary for another beneficiary, a family member with no tax consequence. But the definition of family member is so broad that it should give most clients enough flexibility. I will say, though, that, you know, that doesn't completely alleviate our concern that these accounts can and often are overfunded. So it's important to think about realistic expectations of the future and, and use of the funds because we don't want to put too much into an account. Right. You put too much in and ultimately you'll pay the income tax plus the penalty to get it out. You can get it out, but you'll pay those and suffer that consequence. I think it's important to note with 529 accounts that they're effectively done and selected by the states. So in Connecticut, you may have a Connecticut 529 account, which I think is 
run through TIA CREF. So if I contribute to that program, I can get an income tax deduction for that. But you may or may not like the investment performance in your state. So I could go to a different state and use their 529 account. The disadvantage there is I wouldn't get a Connecticut income tax deduction for my contribution. And it's an interesting thing to think about for Connecticut residents. And I am someone who has established 529 accounts for family members. And you do get a meaningful income tax deduction in Connecticut when you make contributions. But I think that if you looked at overall investment performance of the states, Connecticut isn't great. I think the custodian now is fidelity, but you have to sort of weigh those considerations to deduction versus investment performance. Let's hit our third strategy. Well, we build up to it It's because it's our favorite topic, trust, but it's probably, in our opinion, also going to be provide our most flexibility. So using a trust structure to facilitate the payment of educational expenses. And I think this can be done in any number of ways and kind of combining it back to many of our discussions on trusts, we could do that planning at death in creating a trust for a group of beneficiaries, or we may create a trust during lifetime, an irrevocable trust during lifetime to help pay future expenses. What are some of the reasons that we like trusts in this circumstance? There are a bunch of them. I'm a trust enthusiast in this category, for sure. I think the one that I see as most valuable oftentimes to clients is simply the ability to leverage annual exclusion gifts. So with the past two strategies we've talked about, there is clearly one recipient of a gift for gift tax purposes. Here, if you have a pot trust, so, you know, a single trust for the benefit of a larger class of beneficiaries, then you can make pretty large gifts to the trust and allocate annual exclusions to each of the beneficiaries by giving them crummy white rights of withdrawal. But the reason why that can be important is really the leveraging of loading up the trust for beneficiaries who are much closer to college. So yeah, so you have an example of a uh, five beneficiaries, one who you haven't done any planning for any of them, but you have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old if I got the numbers I'm not right. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> They're all 2 years apart and there's five of them. So you can leverage, right? Let's make the math easy. So five beneficiaries, let's say there are a husband and a wife, so we have 10 annual exclusions. The annual exclusion this year is 17000 so we can put $170,000 into the trust in that first year. And if we needed all of that for the oldest beneficiary, that would be okay. Exactly. I liked how you put that in context because it's a lot easier to illustrate the benefit when putting numbers to it. But certainly, yes, I think using up those annual exclusions is really important. So then, Michael, what I, th- I have a feeling I know what you're going to say is your favorite benefit of trust-based planning for educational expenses, but what, it, what are you going to say? I think to me, I think it's the flexibility it provides. And in that, often clients will say they want to do something. They want to provide a trust for their grandchildren that's going to provide for their education, which leads to a discussion of what does education mean? And in a trust structure, 
I can define what education means. I can be very specific and I can define it just like the med ed exclusion. I can define it like the 529, how they define it, or I can be much more broad and include things like tutoring or a summer sailing experience that has some sort of an educational component to it, which allows us to have fun conversations with our clients about what education means, the pros and cons of defining exactly what it means or providing examples to create that flexible plan that's going to match their goals. If they only want it for private school for K through 12, fine. If they only want it for higher educational expenses, fine. Often what we're trying to do is expand that. So as norms change and the definition of education changes over time, the trust that we create can continue to be effective in that purpose. Right. And I think a key to the flexibility is obviously arriving at whatever definition of education you think is appropriate, but also the ability to express a distribution standard within the trust as being within a disinterested trustee's absolute discretion. They can make distributions for any purpose. And then you include precatory language about your hope and expectation that the trustees use the funds for education. And that in and of itself provides a lot of flexibility, especially in comparison to the other strategies. And it maybe allays some client fears about what could happen if there is a major situation that requires use of funds that doesn't fall under education, whether it's a health-related problem or something similar, they want to ensure that funds could be used for those purposes as well. So certainly flexibility. You also have the management and control of the assets. So the person who's created the trust will be able to select the trustee who will make distribution decisions, but also run the investment side of the performance the trust can provide a level of asset protection that you might not be able to get in some of the other strategies. And sometimes we, we don't have to go too much depth of it, but some clients will like to encourage certain behaviors, whether it's high GPAs or attaining certain degrees or some attaining a certain degree within a certain period of time. So do some incentive-based trust planning. Not always something that I'm a huge proponent of, but the trust planning does provide those opportunities. I think on the trust, you also get to combine some of those other strategies. A trust can fund a 529 account. So the trust could be the owner of a 529 account if getting the tax deferred growth is important generally because the trustee is then limiting the assets to those expenses. So a trustee should tread carefully there, but they can combine those strategies. A trust can make a tuition payment. A non-exempt trust could make a tuition payment to a beneficiary without causing generation skipping tax. So if you had that non-exempt trust, it might be a strategy there of focusing on payments of tuition. So kind of combining those strategies for as much benefit as possible. Absolutely. I think that was a great overview of our key considerations and what leads us to recommend a certain strategy over another. But certainly, it's very helpful to remember these options because they're incredibly powerful. So just as a recap, we've got the direct payment of tuition, 
got the funding of 529 accounts, and then, of course, trust-based planning that can incorporate both of those previous strategies with it as well. Well, great. Well, thank you, Aaron. It was a great conversation of a topic that we hear a lot of from our clients, and we look forward to talking to our clients about in the future. Absolutely. We'll see everyone next time. Thank you for listening to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning, hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. At Wigan and Dana, our aim is preserving the wealth that a family has worked so hard to create and pride ourselves in offering value-driven solutions and results. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, share episodes with your clients, and follow our highly talented, creative, and experienced lawyers on LinkedIn for even more great insight. We'll see you next time on Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning.